Intro. 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 Greetings, ladies and gents. Welcome to Flywheel, your number one source for everything Frax, DeFi, and everything in between. If you want to know what's going on in the world on chain, you come to the right place. This is DeFi Dave here with Capital K, and we're here to help you harness the power of the flywheel. And this time around, things get juicy. Things get real juicy because we have on Mr. Wen Moon from Umami Finance, and it's we get a we get a taste of those really tasty, delicious yields and what they've been cooking up at Umami because you know we've had on Umami before, and it's a completely different product. Completely, and you know the way that he goes into it with a kid. You go. What are your thoughts? On I this got one? you. I was gonna say, well, Umami productizes and packages on-chain trading strategies for the end user so that the end user is abstracted away from all the complexities and they simply single side stake their asset. One of the first strategies that they're using their technology for is GLP. So an individual could single side LP any single asset that is within GLP, or rather they can have a custom balance or composition of assets within GLP that they so choose. And Umami would ensure that those are the only exposure they get. Very beautiful and clean product solves a lot of financial issues, also solve a lot of coordination issues. So that is what Umami is building. And that's why it is important because you can see this type of strategy scale across the board because it really is a coordination uh, solution, not just a financial one. And also they started the the meme of real yield. Real and yield. this is real yield. The realest yield. Couldn't have said it better myself. And honestly, let's just get into it. So wait, do, do you think they need a, a notepad for this one, Kent? You think you should get out a notepad? Uh, unless they like to, you know, have their brain blown over and over again. Yeah, I think a pen and notepad <laughs> would probably be yeah, helpful. Yeah, I think it'll work. It'll work. <laughs> and if you want to keep up with everything Flywheel, make sure you hit that bell button, subscribe to your YouTube, leave us a comment, let us know what you think. Give us a like. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at Flywheel DeFi. Check out all our clips on TikTok at Flywheel DeFi. TikTok, <laughs> TikTok. TikTok. Uh, make sure you join our Telegram at Flywheel DeFi. Make sure you hop on our Friend Tech. Get exclusive show notes uh, only found on Friend Tech. Uh, make sure you follow me on Twitter at DeFi Day 22. Follow me at 0x capital underscore K. Subscribe to the website, flywheeldefi.com, and we'll get the flywheel spinning. Do you hold ETH but don't know what to do with it? Want to earn those juicy liquid staking derivative yields but don't know where to start? Well, FraxETH is there for you. FraxETH is Frax's native LSD solution, allowing you to earn boosted yields in multiple ways on your ETH. If you want to get started, go to app.frax.finance and turn your ETH into FraxETH today. GM, GM, it's actually morning where I'm at, and welcome to this episode of Flywheel. I'm your host, DeFi Dave, here with Capital K. And this time, I'm not asking when moon, I'm asking now moon, because now when moon, moon, now moon, when moon, now moon, because when moon is here on the pod with us, the treasury master himself, the master of coin. If this was Harry Potter, you know where he would be. <laughs> <laughs> when moon, thank you for joining us this time. We've been meaning to have this episode for a while. You have been recommended to us. I think multiple times, whenever we ask like, hey, like who should we have on the pod? People are like, when moon, when moon. So all I got to say is now moon. So thanks for coming on. 
Thanks for having me, boys. Finally, we made it happen, right? Finally, we made it. We we made it, and I would. I would. Because we we like met so many times in our life, but we never got to. I know. Schedule the episode, but now we're finally here. Dude, I've seen you all over the world. I think I can almost count. I think more than one hand on like how many cities I've seen you uh, (laughs) at all these conferences. Like it must be like Denver, Paris, just recently Singapore. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've we've been all around the world together, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I guess like starting off, like, what were your thoughts on Singapore and took in twenty forty nine, and how it compared to other conferences? So, um, yeah, I did. I did both KVW uh, for Korea and Singapore uh, took in But I would say, like, Korea was like just comparatively more chill. But like Korea was normal, like it was a normal conference. I was already kind of tired by the end of it. Then you go to Singapore and my God, in Singapore, it, literally the entire world was there, right? It just oh it literally felt, it, you could not, I don't know if you guys had the same experience, but it was almost every time you walked on the street, you'd meet somebody that you knew, right? It was mm-hmm. that crazy. There was like more, I feel like there was more crypto people than residents. Almost. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was oh yeah. Oh, dude, yeah. there was like 280 side events alone. Not to mention like the conference itself sold out. It was the city was packed. Um, dude, I met so many people from the U.S. that like flew over. Like I was like, oh, people are like, yeah, I came from New York. I met so I was just like, wow, people like came all the way, like the other side of the world. And I think that goes to show like how much pull there is in Asia now and how much interest there is in Asia. And kid, I think after the conference, what you said to me, like you said that one word described it was practical. Like how can we like use crypto and blockchain and DeFi and what we're building today? Yeah, I mean, I think there were so many good conversations that came out of it, so many good uh, connections and especially like the VC money here. I mean, there now, I guess in Singapore, I, f- I feel like I'm still there, but uh, <laughs> it, it, it's so it, it's so crazy. So many so many different uh, new fans that I got to speak with, and yeah. Uh, yeah, it was it was just really an experience. But now I'm I'm completely destroyed. I don't know about you guys. Yeah, dude. I, according to my jet lag, I'm still there. To be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no. So, so you know, for, for for me, I had a slightly different types of conversation. I didn't really talk so much with funds, but I uh-huh. spoke a lot with uh, legacy financial institutions who are thinking of getting into the stablecoin space. And this wow. is not just you know a meme, but you know they really are. They actually have, have already launched. Some of them have contracts deployed. Some of them have contracts already audited. So it's it's real. They are tra- taking this super seriously, and also it made me recognize how much education we need to do. A lot of my conversation, I thought I could have come in there and tell them, "Hey, you should be paired with Frax BP, and we could do this, this, and this." And then they'll be like, "What's a curve?" You know? <laughs> and oh, I'm yeah. like, "Oh my goodness!" I was like, "Holy yeah. shit!" I need to really yeah. dial it back and educate, educate, educate. And that's what I found myself doing a lot. Yeah. And like, and the this- no- yeah, go ahead, one minute. I mean, I was just going to say, I think this was exact, exactly as Jakey, like this was the first time I kind of felt like, you know what, um, it's it's almost as if these guys don't know anything that we know in our kind of bubble. I feel like we're all in the kind of same bubble here, but they, they you really have to kind of break it down from the bare bones uh, for these guys. And it, at least for me, 
for a long time, it's almost been crypto is DeFi, right? I'm I'm so so ingrained into the DeFi side now. Mm-hmm. But these guys care about like gaming, NFTs, and especially right, gaming right. is almost like so crazy to me because in Korea, especially, it's huge. Every other project you talk to on a random basis is a gaming project, and I don't know a single one. I've never <laughs> heard of these. And and you know, as soon as I mentioned DeFi, they've never heard of us. You know, so it's 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 pretty pretty surreal to kind of have that experience yeah i mean these funds have such a different mandate because it's like mm-hmm. where can we get a return like where where can we get that multiple and mm-hmm. so that's why they're looking towards you know gaming especially because look just look at how successful normal gaming is like it's like the primary form of entertainment especially there in korea where it's so ingrained in the culture for the past two or three decades um so like then to get to like DeFi, it's like a whole it's a bit different, but it's possible. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I think they all take uh, a very different approach, it, it kind of as you were just saying, right, to it, to investing, to, you know, what they are looking at. And obviously, yeah, exactly. They have such a culture of gaming um, and, and these things are so ingrained for them. They are like, those are, I guess, their DeFi and their world, you know, that's yeah, what they, exactly. they are looking at. It. It's, and and it's, then like, you yeah. juxtapose that with what goes on in Singapore, where it's like super f- more financially heavy. I mean, there yeah. are definitely pockets of gaming, like in, in Token 2049 and, and kind yeah. of the side events. Like they were definitely a presence, but you know, like the large majority there were like finance, heavy duty, you know, financiers, like mm-hmm. r- rolling through those halls. You, you guys want to hear something funny? So like I asked my friend who you know was born and raised in Singapore, I'm like, Hey, so what's the national sport of Singapore? And it took him like a few seconds to answer and then a few seconds more and he didn't say anything. And I'm just like, is it finance? And then we just, <laughs> <laughs> we just kind of, he's just like, yeah, it is finance actually. <laughs> so that's, so that's what Singapore is like as a city where finance yeah. is the national sport. Yeah, they never stop, man. <laughs> yeah, they, they don't stop. Yeah. There's shopping and then there's finance. And then there's a fuck ton of humidity. Oh my God. That oh. place was, ugh. I just get like, just, I hate like how it feels on the skin. It was just, it's just not my thing. The worst thing was every everywhere inside is air conditioned to the max. Oh, and yeah, everywhere yeah. outside, they're like absolutely humid as shit. So you can never dress for like both inside and outside. You're either like in shorts and you're freezing inside. Or you're like wearing like a no- normal clothes and then you're dying outside. It's yeah. just, it's, it's crazy. Also, since it was F1 weekend and there was just no grabs and traffic was like, so the bad. The roads were closed. Yeah. The roads were closed. And uh-huh. so you would walk everywhere or like I would walk everywhere. And be like, oh, it's only like 10 minutes away. That isn't bad. And by the end of the 10 minutes, you're drenched. Kit, do you remember me walking oh. into... <laughs> Dude, when, so Dave showed up. This is the last day of Token 2049. It was like basically the, the, the final party. And Dave shows in huffing and puffing. Like his shirt was like... He, he came from a sauna, dude. I, was, I could have sworn he came from a sauna. The shirt wasn't even really a shirt. It was more like a singlet at that point because it was like with one with his body. And yeah. I was like, dude. dude. Yeah, so... <laughs> luckily, I, luckily I, we had merch. <laughs> So we immediately gave him a shirt and he changed in the yeah, back. Yeah, because I, I had to like, basically, I forgot something on a previous fence. So I had to like go back, walk there, then drop it off at my hotel and then walk to the our like actual event. And by the time I remember it was like in my hotel room, I'm just like, 
if I get a new shirt, I'm just going to keep sweating. I might as well keep this on and just walking out. It's Singapore. Like everybody's sweating. I don't care. But I walked in and I really looked different. And then just everyone's like, Jay, are, are you okay? Like, are you, <laughs> do you need anything? Do you need anything? And then I walk in and people were freaking, I was like, you know, I just accepted it. So I was just fine and normal just trying to just pull it off. But people were like, oh my God, like we got to get you a shirt. We got to do this. That. And so like, yeah. but yeah. <laughs> oh, dude, it was it was a scene it was a scene yeah. uh but well, you know yeah i will say this about singapore the food was very good especially at the both events that we hosted very good food at both at, oh at my kinky, God, yeah. yeah at you kinky that oof. Yeah. wow i i usually never eat at those events because the food is usually garbage at, at crypto events but yeah especially at your event it was it was uh bomb having it having it at the restaurant was an, an insanely good idea but Man, the upstairs was so sweaty. <laughs> oh yeah, the roof's up. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, was, yeah, yeah. it was a rooftop. You signed up for it the moment the, the moment you but went outside. But you had the outside, option to go up. down. The, yeah, you had the true. option to go down. And yeah, yeah, we were going like up, up for five minutes, back down for like thirty minutes, then back up for <laughs> another. Five. That's yeah. right. That's right. And go up just, for the picks, and then you come back yeah. down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just having that view and then looking down at the event yeah. that was below us, I think that was Annie Milker or something. That just felt yeah, so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 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 was like, oh, this is so great. But yeah, you know, Singapore was definitely a productive time. Um, lots of connections to be made that were made and uh you know but happy that we're home and happy to get this conversation started so i want to bring it back to the interview and get to know the moon himself uh so when moon let's get into it uh can you give us like a little bit uh of how much of your background like you want to like give away to us and like why'd you get into crypto like what is your why and like how'd you get into all this yeah so uh, my background is mainly finance and economics right i have a tradfi background and i've moved now to uh crypto, I guess, full time um, in 2021. Yeah, 2021. I got into crypto around about 2020 um, when like everything was popping off like this this last bull run. So I guess I'm not like a, an OG like everybody else is nowadays. But um, <clears throat> I mean, I, I, I still feel very old in this space. You know, every every year feels like four. So uh, yeah, it's been it's been a quite a while. But yeah, I got into this it, the space really because a friend of mine, uh, uh, another finance friend of mine, kind of built a project um, in DeFi. Uh, so actually, my my whole like journey actually started with DeFi, and you know, still goes with DeFi to this day. Um, and you know, they were like, you know, this is my thing. I was like, okay, I can kind of support you, but I don't really know what this stuff is. I this also sounds too good to be true, whatever. And then he said, you know, there's an airdrop coming. And I was like, you know, he was trying to explain to me what an airdrop was. And I was like, this doesn't make any sense, right? Free money, uh, especially where I come from. It's like, you know, if anybody says <laughs> that's free money, it's like some sort of scam. So uh, I was like, look, I'll just because you're my mate, I'll, I'll join, I'll do whatever. And like the, I think the airdrop turned into like, uh, around about six figures at the top. So, you know, it was uh, it was like a big, big like slap in my face that like, wow, you know, this sort of stuff can exist. And obviously, you know, you go in through through like the bull run and, and the Ponzi's and everything. And, and like, I just loved, obviously, obviously that sort of stuff was fun, 
but I just love the the community and and like the the ethos of DeFi and the ethos of crypto in general, right? Like I've always resonated with that, but you know, in TradFi, it's sort of like uh, this is the norm, and you know, it is it is what it is kind of attitude. But you know, having this space where everybody's like, well, actually, you know, we don't like centralized institutions. We don't like uh, not having custody of our of our own um, assets and all this sort of stuff. No middlemen. All that stuff super resonated with me. So as soon as I kind of got in for real, um, I was just like, yo, I I want to try this out. I want to um, work here and 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 like help this space if I can, right? With my background. And so a lot of the time, um, what I've tried to do is use my background, use my finance knowledge uh, to try and help a lot of these projects, either as an advisor, either as like act- actually a full-time contributor or whatever it is. Um, because a lot of the time, you know, these, the, I, I think DeFi, I think you guys, you, you guys are more than familiar with this. Sometimes DeFi tries to reinvent the wheel, especially when it comes to finance. Um, <laughs> And it's almost a case of, well, I can kind of come in sometimes and just say, you know, we've been doing this for for years, right? Let me kind of like help you out. Let me kind of show you how uh, some of these problems that you guys are facing aren't really problems. We've already solved them. And yeah, let me let me help you out here. And so that's kind of, I guess, how uh, I've made a quote unquote name for myself here. But yeah, that kind of gets me through to today. I've worked in a couple of projects um, so mainly now I've been working at Umami for a year as a treasury manager. Um, so yeah, we have like a $5 million fund, a lot of, uh, a lot of, especially a lot of NFT projects, but projects in general ha- used to have really, really large treasuries, millions of dollars. And then especially in the wake of the bear market, straight after the bull, they, re- they had hundreds of ETH, a thousand of ETH even, and, you know, lost like 75% of it. And so my whole point was, you know, we don't know how long this bull market is going, I mean, bear market is going to last, but we still need to pay devs. We still need to whatever. And relatively speaking, $5 million isn't a huge fund uh, in DeFi standards. Like a lot of treasuries are bigger than that, but it has always been that, you know, this, this is actually, you know, let, let's put it into perspective. This is $5 million, you know, this is good enough to build a great protocol and, uh, you know, have a very bright future yeah. and, uh, you know, have a runway for years to come as long as we play our cards, right? And, uh, yeah, my whole point has been risk management, not blowing up like, you know, FTX or Alameda or uh, Three Arrows, all of these guys. And, uh, yeah, you know, we've thankfully survived to this point and made a good amount of yield um, up to now, yeah. But before we jump to Umami, actually, when could could we uh, should I address you as a when or a, do you prefer Mr. Moon? I think I think when is fine, but you, know, you can tell me whatever. Yeah. So 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 when like before Umami, could you name some of the projects that you you've worked with? Yeah. So uh, my main my main gig before um, Umami was Abracadabra. I'm sure everybody is familiar with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Magic money and all that kind of good stuff. Um, <clears throat> I was there for, you know, that year where, um, I guess it, it kind of blew up and, and, uh, you know, all we did DJ box and we did, um, a lot of other things, but I guess DJ box is what we're all most known for. And yeah, those kind of stuff before that, a, a brief, 
uh, stint at like sushi swap, but nothing oh. nothing too major until, yeah, can, until can we like go back down memory lane and just think about yeah, how yes. absolutely ridiculous the jujen box was yeah it I was remember, a, yeah go ahead probably like the craziest idea at the time uh, the, the name fact, the name itself yeah. yeah yeah the name itself was perfect right from a marketing perspective especially at that time from the narratives that mm-hmm. uh you know were, were born at the time but yeah it was actually Dijinbutsu was one of the first, uh, you know, to kind of take a leverage and legit, like, turn the DJ up to 11, right? Um, before that, a lot of the time, you know, we didn't have... Um, we, I mean, DeFi has always been part of composability and, and DeFi Legos. And uh, DJ and Box kind of took that and was like, you know, let's legit just, you know, leverage this this 20% yield on Anchor to... To the absolute tits and and uh, i think you know we've 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 kind of seen the wake of that uh nowadays where a lot of different protocols like um you know gearbox even or something like that mm-hmm. those kind of i i feel like are are very uh inspired by those kind of strategies mm-hmm. yeah. where it is obviously in a less degen way but you know trying to take a composability of DeFi, trying to take the legos of DeFi adding leverage to that um, and allowing people to like leverage whatever they want or whatever it is, at least hopefully in a risk managed way or better risk managed than DJ box was. And especially Anchor and USD and all that. But yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a pretty historic moment, I think for DeFi, right? For better or for worse. For better or for worse. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It really, you know, taught a lot of lessons per se, you know, it's just like, okay, we got to like, take a step back and you know, how do we make things safer? Go, yeah, go ahead, Kit. Yeah, well, I just want to comment on when, how were you able to pick all of almost like the banner DeFi protocols to work with? You know, with Sushi, <laughs> with Abracadabra, and now like Umami, like just for, you know, the Anon out there that kind of wants to cut their teeth at, you know, kind of doing what you do and want to contribute and add back. Like, how did you even choose these protocols and what are some kind of hallmarks or signals that you look for? So um, the the whole thing for me has always been, and this is another reason that as soon as I got into DeFi, I kind of fell in love with it. Um, and it, I, it's not something that most people talk about, but it is just the fact that in DeFi and in crypto generally, there's almost this aura of whoever is like the quote unquote big name, big shot. You can talk to them anytime through the Discord, through the whatever, and you can kind of have like a line of connection and the entire industry is so small right now. I truly believe that the most important thing now is connections, right? So obviously you guys, you guys know this more than every, anybody obviously now going to all of these um, kind of conferences, but you almost get to a point where, you know, one person can introduce you to the next person and the next person introduces you. And suddenly the entire industry is almost one connection away. So for me, it's always been um, having these connections and knowing these people, but that's always come from like a genuine, not not any like uh, slimy, I guess, trad fight. Let me pop up to this guy on LinkedIn and, and help you get cold emailing or whatever, but like a genuine connection of, you know, I'm really interested in Curve. Let me DM, uh, you know, somebody from Curve and, and ask them about this, this really obscure part of the gauges, gorgeous system or or, you know, I'm really interested in Frax. Let me get into the Frax uh, group chat and then Sam will reply within like a couple minutes, right? <laughs> Frax. 
it's always been like that for me. So yeah, it's it's kind of you can talk to any of these founders, um, any of the team, and they're always more than willing uh, to to reply. And I'm I'm absolutely the same. There's, there's people that I've met um, who who just DM me out of the blue, and are like, you know, this part of the protocol is really interesting, but you know, you could do this. And sometimes they add a lot of value, and you know, you kind of don't even think about things. But yeah, I'm sure you guys have, have seen this and have felt this before, right? You resonate with this a lot, right? Yeah, I mean, we resonate with a project so much that we built a whole media company around it. Literally, yeah. right? <laughs> so, <laughs> where, yeah. else, where else but, but DeFi would that happen, right? Do you think it would be like Amazon yeah. Flywheel? Or- well, <laughs> what's really cool about DeFi and crypto in general is like the self-sovereignty and initiative that comes out of it. And so, yeah. like, not only are you self-sovereign in the assets that you hold, you're actually, like, <laughs> self-sovereign in the initiatives that you can take. Like, there's – I could Watch never it. have done this for, like – like, imagine, like, there was some, like, company or, like, bank or, like, some yeah. thing. It's like, like Amazon. I, like, when was that? Amazon, yeah. And, like, yeah, I'm going to start, like, a media company for – it's just, like, doesn't have, like, the same, like, ring to it. But because of yeah. this kind of, like – kind of, like, oh, we're contributing to a protocol – uh, no. in our own way mm-hmm. it has like a different ethos it has a different vibe different feel about it and especially if you're passionate about it that comes across and you know i like hope that flywheel serves as a model for other media sub DAOs in the future maybe sakura DAO. <laughs> but uh awfully <laughs> yeah no no i'm like i want to be friends with sakura DAO. I'm, I'm i'm i just joined it <laughs> facts yeah facts. But it, it, it's absolutely true like there's there's I mean, yeah, you guys are a great example of that, right? Like where else would anything like this exist? I think if, um, I mean, if you if you try and explain what you guys do to maybe your family, I'm sure they are like, what the hell? Like this, I, okay, I mean, sure. But it's it really like almost a weird sort of niche community that we, we guys are all in where this sort of stuff does live and you, you can speak to these people and they aren't, like you know dicks about um you know because you always imagine like uh, especially someone that built kind of like michael's a huge brain but can i really just dm the guy or can it can he really just reply to my messages mm-hmm. is jeff bezos gonna reply to my discord dm i don't think so you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah no like i have a question for you guys because uh-huh. i i what you're saying about trying to describe this to friends and family you really can't and so what do you guys say when people ask like oh what do you do so usually what I say is like, oh, I work in fintech and I do media consulting. Just keep it oh. as general as possible. Do you want to go first? Because <laughs> yeah, mine yeah. is not the Sure, sure. Yeah. Um, it, it depends on who's asking. If it's like family member, I keep it even shorter. I just say, I'm a reporter. I'm a journalist. <laughs> I keep it at that level. And then, you know, because it's the bear market right now, you know, I mentioned I'm, I'm, I'm just in, in uh, finance. You know, the, that's that's kind of where I draw the line. Like, I'm in finance for me. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Th- yeah, that's exactly the same as me. I say I'm in finance. Uh, the stuff that I talk about is, like, enough of the finance sphere that it's fine. I do, like, if they really want to get into it, I do kind of say that I'm uh, in crypto. But a lot of the time, I feel like I'm not ready for some of the conversations that come out from there. So oh, I my God, yeah. Just, like, I like to keep it like uh, a lower level, right? Um, than than having to explain. Okay, so this is this, and this is this, and th- sometimes some people, some people that I know, legit, like introduce me to other people. Like this guy works in Bitcoin. 
<laughs> yeah, dude, I'm just like, Ugh. okay, man. <laughs> this guy works. <laughs> that's the first time I've heard that one. Oh, that's good. Oh, that's really good. Yeah, because they, obviously they don't really get it, and, and me explaining it, it's just going to take too long. So I'm like, okay, fine. Yeah, I work in Bitcoin. <laughs> oh, okay. I mean, well, let's 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 tie it back down to where you are currently working now, which is Umami. And you said earlier that you are, you know, managing the, the treasury there. But could you walk us through a bit more, like literally, what is your day to day like as a treasury manager? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> that's a really good question, right? But so m mostly my role now, uh, even though my title is obviously treasury manager, uh, it's it mostly sits on the BD side. So I'm in. Um, calls most of the day uh either with like so right now uh we're looking for auditors for our next uh product so that's some of the guys that we've been talking to uh, and obviously going to token 20 2049 and all this kind of stuff uh and making these connections either with dcs either with different protocols to get integrations going which i hope you know we're gonna do soon but like from a treasury management perspective um my whole my whole thing especially when we got when like the treasury, I guess, like fell into my hand, um, there was a lot of shit coins and a lot of positions that took a lot of effort to to manage. And my whole thing was like, look, this at the end of the day, this is a multi sig. We want to keep this. Uh, and and generally, a lot of the times, the thing that is simplest is usually the best. Uh, so we keep the management as much as possible uh, quite low. Right now, the thing that we manage most um, actively from the treasury is actually the liquidity positions. So we have the $5 million treasury, and that also includes uh, like protocol and liquidity, which is another thing that I've, I've you know, been a huge proponent for, being, being huge in pushing. Uh, we have these like V3 LPs, which obviously, you know, some of them go out of range, some of them go in, in range at whatever times, maybe we have to collect fees, whatever it is. But I'm, um, you know, managing where do we put the ranges? Where are we willing to buy the token? Where are we willing to um, exit the token or, or allow people to buy? And what does the slippage, you know, essentially trying to like draw the entire curve as we want it to be. And that's that's like the main part of it for now. And then the other side is just uh, always looking at new um, uh, opportunities that we have and like doing the due diligence on them from from a bd perspective as well as from a treasury perspective the most important thing as i always 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 try and emphasize for me especially is risk management and you know protocols just tend not to do that that kind of work properly so we're always making sure that you know we we know the team properly we've done the proper due diligence on the contracts whatever it is but even from a finance perspective, we understand what is the protocol doing and where are the risks that lie with that uh, protocol. And you know, in, in in the tail risk, you know, what what happens, how, what could we lose, whatever, all these kind of things we're looking at. And uh, that's that's mostly what I what I do day to day. Yeah, it, that tees off to my next question pretty well. Um, what are the risks associated with Umami? Um, you know, what were the issues in the first iteration? Because I remember you guys launched and it was like, ah, we got to like uh, go roll it back, roll it back. And like, how'd you overcome those risks? And like, what's kind of your risk protocol right now? Wait, wait, okay, be great. Before, before you hop into that, before you hop into yeah. that, let's let's talk about what is Umami and why yeah. what you guys are building uh, yeah. is important. Yeah, yeah. Go, uh, 
I was about to say we're, we're kind of jumping ahead, but yes, the, I think let, let's like get the, that question. Out yeah, 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 good point. It, um, so Umami right now, what we do is essentially providing um, a, a sort of market making strategy um, to anybody that wants to deposit any asset, but we try to keep your exposure profile in the deposit asset of your choosing, right? Um, that's, that's the current strategy, but from a general level, what Umami tries to do is um, take these sort of more quantitative or, or more um, difficult strategies to do for an average investor, put them on chain, uh, put them transparent, and allow anybody to be able to like participate in that specific strategy, whether it be like a basis trade or so, uh, whatever it is, uh, put them on, on chain, let them, let them uh, do that with an exposure profile or a risk profile that's very low. Right, so our whole thing is trying to provide the highest beta from an investment point of view. Right, the I mean, sorry, the highest sharp ratio. Um, uh, yeah, so like very low risk but high yield uh, compared to that risk that you're taking with these strategies. And um, yeah, in terms of exposures, we try to keep you as simple as possible. But the last thing is is really what we're trying to do is not just do things on chain for the sake of doing them on chain. And this kind of ingrains into the entirety of what we built and my ethos to building. A lot of the time I think DeFi says, you know, let's just put XYZ on chain. And then you're like, okay, but why are we doing this on chain? Why, you know, it works perfectly in TradFi. It works perfectly as it currently is. Why should this be on chain? And the answer is almost, well, cause the chain is good, right? But, you know, that's not really a sufficient answer for, I think most people, and it isn't going to be a sufficient answer forever. So the, the whole point for us is how do we make sure that we're actually using the technology that it is the chain to get a better outcome for everybody? And I can explain that with the strategy, right? So the current strategy, essentially, it's very simple. All it does is it farms GLP with whatever deposit asset you put. What's but GLP? Is, okay. That's a good question. So DLP is GMX's. So GMX is a per, per platform. Um, GMX has GLP, which is essentially the counterparty to all the trades uh, on GMX. It earns the trading fees that they pay. It earns the trader PL. So if traders lose, GLP wins money, but the other way around as well. Um, all that kind of stuff happens with this like magic thing called GLP. The problem with GLP though is that it has, it's a sort of basket of assets, but the basket is constantly changing. You have some BTC, you have some ETH, you have some USDC, some LINK, some UNI, some other assets, and there you don't ever really know exactly how much of all those assets you have at any one time. So that means if you're trying to construct a portfolio and you want exposure to ETH, let's say you're, you're an ETH bull, GLP has a huge risk to you because you never really know at any time what your exposure to your, your desired asset, what your exposure to ETH is going to be. It could be, it could be all ETH, it could be no ETH. Nobody really knows and you don't know at that time. Uh, and so, you know, if, if ETH pumps uh, and you don't really have the exposure to ETH that you thought you did, you know, you're gonna be sad, obviously. So our whole thing is we want to give you that single-sided exposure because that's the easiest thing. And it, it goes the same for retail and it goes the same for funds. 
because all they really care is that, you know, they have their exposure, they want ETH exposure, or, you know, if they're Delta neutral, they want USDC exposure. How do we give that to them at all times without them having to do too much? So what we do is we allow anybody to deposit any of the assets that are in GLP. So the five assets that we have is BTC, ETH, USDC, Link, and Uni. You can come into Umami, you can deposit any of those assets. The, the vault strategy is quite simple. All it does is it buys GLP and farms the GLPs, trading fees and everything, but then also shorts and, and longs all the other assets so that your exposure is only to the asset that you wanted exposure to. So if you come with BTC, we'll make sure that as BTC price goes up, you make money. And as BTC price goes down, you lose money as, as you would normally want. One-to-one -one exposure in BTC, but you still get to farm this like 20% or whatever the hell yield uh, GLP might be paying at that time. So that's the, that's the broad idea. But the thing from like V1, and I came, I think, uh, roughly towards the end of V1 was, and, and, and many other people have tried to do this sort of delta neutral GLP strategy. Uh, the thing is, it's, it's quite expensive to just rebalance all the time. Actually, wait, when, when, I'm sorry to cut you off, but let me just summarize what you said overall so, about Umami, and then we'll dive into the difference between V1 and V2. So, so from my understanding, what Umami does is you guys productized and package on-chain okay. strategies for the end user in a very clean and simple UI. One okay. of the first strategies, on-chain strategies that you implemented is with GLP, as yeah. you are so, so eloquently described. You get the deltas you want, which is the market direction exposure you want, without okay. having to hedge away all the other deltas you don't want. Okay. And you get to earn trading fees as well as the uh, rewards from GMX itself. That is yeah. Umami at this point. Please continue Perfect. with the V1. And the, and the strategy that we do to, do to actually do that, that compares to V1, V1 didn't work because it, it had very high trading, I mean, very high rebalancing costs uh, for, for the reason that, you know, we were doing what we call many external trades, right? And especially on chain, compared to any um, strategy off chain or, or uh, you know, like on a centralized exchange, it's much, much more expensive in, in gas fees, in, in latency, in um, actual like the basic, like whatever you are paying for, for those trades. Now, the thing is, what we do is this thing called internal netting. And that's where we, that comes back to what I was explaining earlier about we are trying to do this thing on chain that actually leverages the fact that you are on chain to make a better um, and cheaper or whatever it is experience for everybody involved. So let's say, Dave, me, you want uh, exposure to BTC. Keith, you want exposure to ETH, and I want exposure to USDC, right? So we all can come together and say, well, you know, GLP has exposure to all three, but we don't want exposure to all three. I want only USDC, you want only BTC, you want only ETH. So we can trade our exposures between ourselves. And that's what the Umami Vaults does. But the thing about it is that since we're all helping each other in this case, right? We all have this sort of network effect where the fact that we've found each other is actually a good thing to all of us. It's like Pareto uh, optimal for us to give each other this, these trades and these exposures, but for free, 
right? The whole thing is that you don't have to pay anyone any funding. You don't have to pay anyone any opening and closing costs. We're all helping each other. This is sort of us signaling to the market that these are the exposures that we want. So what we do is we put all these users together in these different vaults. They are all signaling to each other what exposures they want. Therefore, we can net all of the trades between us. I can give you guys my BTC and ETH exposure that you want from me. And in return, you can, now that I've gotten rid of my exposure, I'm Delta neutral, right? So thank you guys for like helping me get there, but for completely free. Um, and, and, you know, vice versa, you guys get your BTC exposure, Dave, you get your ETH exposure, but you get it for free. Now, from a technical level, obviously you can't net everybody's trades this way. So what we end up doing is essentially as much as exposure can be swapped between us, we maximize that, right? There's a level where you, you, let's say Dave, you don't have your full BTC exposure that you want. You still need to long some more BTC. Then, and, and, and you know, we are already happy with our exposure. What you do then is you go externally and then you can finally find your small extra BTC exposure that you want, mm -hmm. but on the open market. And that is a small amount that you will have to pay for. But here is the awesome bit. Since we're trading this exposure between ourselves, we don't actually need to, like you don't actually need to give me any, or, or more, more prudently, I don't have to give you any BTC. I, you don't have to give me any ETH. Nobody has to swap anything. Everything can be synthetic and all the assets can actually be, and all the trades can be placed sort of in this imaginary uh, like plane, let's say. And the way that we do that is everything is collateralized, obviously in this case, by our yielding position, our GLP, which is going to like take up all of, all of the trades that we ever need to do. I don't ever need to place trades more than the GLP that I own. So what that means is there's no risk of liquidation, no risk of liquidation. Even though we're placing all these kind of trades that otherwise would have liquidations, there's no risk of liquidations. Secondly, there is no cost at all. We've explained this already why there's no cost. But thirdly, and here is the coolest bit in my opinion, there is no assets at all that you need to put in any trade at all. So I don't need like, and, and this, is, this is something that I've talked to a lot of market making funds with. When I talk to these guys and I explain the strategy, I usually start off the conversation with, you know, the Delta neutral GLP strategy that you guys have been doing, because I know all of them were doing this Delta neutral GLP strategy. At one point, it was such a no brainer. All they had to do was buy GLP, put some of their money on centralized exchange, short on the centralized exchange, and therefore their, their exposure will be completely flat. But that's the problem, right? They have to have some of this money on a centralized exchange. They have to place these trades all the time. They have to rebalance all the time. It's costing them a lot of money. It's costing them a lot of time. And not all of their money is in GLP at the same time, right? So maybe right. maybe half or 75%, depending on how much uh, they are willing to have liquidation risk. And obviously, yeah, they have liquidation risk. They have counterparty risk. All these kind of risks they have. We negate all of that because you, there's no reason to actually take any of the money out of GLP. All three of us know we all own GLP. I can see your GLP. I can see your GLP. So we know we all own it. There's no reason to trade using anything other than GLP as your collateral. None of these guys, none of these TradFi guys 
have anywhere in centralized exchange that allows them to use GLP as collateral like we do. Nowhere they can find any free trades like we can. Nowhere they can find any liquidation free uh, perpetuals. All these things is what we provide more than any retail, right? So the, the whole thing for me has been, a lot of the time I compare ourselves to Yearn, right? Yearn is a sort of vault where um, the, you know, it, 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 it does provide value, but it provides, the value that it provides is almost very negligible. You can actually do what Yearn does if you have time, right? Obviously, it's giving you a lot of ease and you don't have to rebalance all the time. You don't have to do this, that, mm -hmm. and the other. You don't have to auto compound, but you still could technically do it. You, a normal trader, even a good market maker cannot source liquidation free, completely free, no cost and no uh, collateral trades like we can. So they, our capital efficiency is higher than them. Our cost yep. basis is, is lower than them and everything else. So, so compared to these guys and their strategies, we provide something that they genuinely can't find. So almost all people that want to do this strategy are better off doing it with us. And that sort of creates a situation where everybody is helping each other, right? All these yep. trades, as long as you're signaling what you want and what exposure you want, we can net those trades for you. And that's, you know, that's different to V1. V1 didn't have this internal netting. And that's yeah. why we can essentially net $4 million of our TVL, but with only $3,000 of capital externally. So, so when I completely understand the internal netting part, and let me try to explain it to you to confirm that I do understand it. Let's say we have $100 worth of GLP, and that gives us a, you know, a third, a third, a third exposure to ETH, BTC, and USDC. It would be the same as if I brought $33 of ETH, you brought $33 of USDC, and Dave brought yes. $33 of the WBTC, and then we combine yes. together, and then we bought one GLP, right? Exactly. And then we, yes. we're able to yeah. farm it, and that's awesome. Internal netting. Now, Brilliant. where you kind of lost me was, oh. now let's say the balance changes, right? Brilliant. Now it becomes, say, 25, 25, 50. Now, Brilliant. I don't understand how the balancing thing happens after that fact okay so with the same the same as these uh market makers when they were doing their delta neutral farm let's say they they delta neutralize themselves but then they came back two hours later you know the balance of glp has changed and now they have some sort of delta what they do then is depending on what delta they've gained let's say they've gained some btc delta they need to short btc to yes. be flat again they have to go and put that trade on again. The way that we do it is exactly the same, except obviously we have like the automated smart contract that kind of places these trades for them. Um, and in the case of us coming with three, 33, 33, 33, making one GLP um, and you know it all being a third, but then it changing, we might have the same sort of exposure, di different exposure, sorry. And we will have to place a trade externally. And that's the whole point, right? So once we've netted internally, once we are all flat, we still, we don't pretend that we live in an ideal world, right? The whole point is there are some strategies that might do the same thing that we do, but they kind of presume that, you know, life is always perfect. The, the GLP weights are always perfect. There's no reason to place any external trades. That's obviously not true. 
So we go and find those trades externally and we have a sort of um, perp engine that like a sort of even a perp aggregator that we've built that essentially means that um, when we have exposure, the vault will realize that it will go through this sort of aggregator and find the most liquidity and the lowest cost way for you to get rid of that exposure externally. And that's, you know, it places that trade and now you're flat again. That's how it and, works. And it uses GLP as the collateral, like where, which perp exchange allows you to use GLP as a collateral. So, so with these exchanges, um, obviously it doesn't allow you to use uh, GLP as collateral, but there is already some assets that we have kept um, uninvested that allow for people to like withdraw and enter the vault without like changing any of the compositions. And so those assets we put on collateral on those exchanges. And uh, some actually we're even in contact with that will soon hopefully be allowing us to use our GLP as collateral. But it is it is something that's a little bit further off. But right, yes, for now, what we essentially do is place those trades as any normal market maker would, except the market maker is placing the entirety of their trades this way. We are playing, placing a very small minority of our trades this way. And so if I look at the Umami uh, website right now, um, you, you have $4 million in the entire vault, but only 40,000 of that $4 million is being placed inside these trades as collateral. That's the way that I kind of explain it. Does that make sense? Yeah, I'm looking at it myself right now. There's 30... Yes. 3.9 million in TVL across all the vaults. 3.2 million are assets in GLP. And then you have $40,000 of assets in hedges. That's correct, it's, yes. Okay. And then that $40,000 is what you said that is being used to make sure the balance is perfect. Because like I said, the balance may have changed and you need to take some yeah. assets to hedge it out. And that's what that yeah, 40K yeah, is. Yeah. So you're basically yeah. using 40K, which is 1%, to hedge yeah. about... $3.2 million worth uh, yes, of, yeah. of assets. Yes, yeah. So you get a sort of situation where essentially our effective leverage across the entire vault is almost like 75x or even 100x, right? But without the liquidation that might come with actually doing the trade as 100x leverage, do you know? Because if the tr if, because if the trade moves against you, well, yeah. you're underlying because it's in the GLP, yeah. would be back in the right delta and you won't be under. Is that, is that kind of the way? Well, in this case, actually, since the trades are placed uh, internally, those trades are already netted, right? The $40,000 right, 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 right. isn't, isn't actually used to, to net $4 million. The $40,000 is probably used to net 150K or something like that. So it has a very low oh, leverage oh, constraint. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, the rest of it is, is actually just being netted. I, I'm just saying from an overall I perspective. I get it now. Uh, your leverage, your effective leverage, thanks to the fact that we have this internal netting mechanism, is probably in the 75X or, or something along those lines, yeah. I get it now, I get it now. Cool. Um, Dave, any questions on your end? If you're uh, so, I, kind I, of I'm, soaking it all in. Yeah, no, it seems like to me that umami is this you know internal accounting machine mm -hmm. and and instead of just you know yes. like with if i'm a market maker i have to go to all these different venues and yes. spend all this time and all this money you yeah. know 
making sure my exposure is in the right risk parameters. Okay. Meanwhile, with Umami, you're basically bringing together all these different parties in a democratic way. It's like, oh, I'm bringing my USDC. And oh, uh-huh. this person's bringing their ETH. And you're all coming together to bring these assets. So like people are like giving you the inventory and then uh-huh. you just market make internally in your Umami vault. Is that like a good way to look at it? I, th- I think you've put it kind of perfectly, especially yeah, with really the fact that you said, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's sort of an accounting mechanism, right? Essentially, the way that I explain it to somebody that comes from TradFi is essentially all that we have is all of these uh, all of these positions and all of the desired trades that we want. And we have a sort of book that we look at and we say, this, this person wants to place this trade. This person wants to place this trade. But we don't have to place everybody's trades externally. We don't have to place them all. We can say, wait a second, two yeah. of our users right now, we can pair against each other almost. And the rest of the trades we can place externally. And that makes sure that you, at the same time, while having this sort of capital efficient, liquidation free, cost free uh, trades, your entire book is at all times perfectly hedged. It's no, it's no like Fugazi where you, you know, you're pretending it's hedged and it isn't actually anything like that. Even if, even if you don't get any deposits into one of the vaults, the vault will realize that. The vault will say, well, actually, um, you know, there's nowhere, nowhere for me to internally net any USDC because there's no USDC deposits. I can internally net all the rest, but we have to go and get the exposure from that, that we don't have externally and, and, you know, make sure that we are flat. That's the way that I explain it, yeah. Yeah. And I, so just for the, the audience listening, uh, when Wen told me this in Singapore, like right. it, it automatically clicked in my mind that what Umami solved was not just a financial problem, but more so just a coordination problem. If uh-huh. all the market makers were open and honest to each other and be like, hey, I want USDC exposure to this much. Hey, you want ETH? How about we kind of combine together? Like if they were all just to open up their books and talk to each other, then they uh-huh. would have done a pseudo Umami product. But what Umami did here was they did it for everybody. So solving a coronation without having to trust anybody, no counterparty uh-huh. dependencies. So it's a, a beautiful, elegant, not just financial solution, but coordination solution in my mind. Yeah, and it, it, especially on the counterparty risk thing, right? This is where you can leverage the power of the blockchain. Because in, in a real world, even if they did do this, right? Even if these parties did come together, you always have, wait a second, you know, if Goldman Sachs is, is trading with JP Morgan, wait a second, what if what if one of us defaults? What if one of us doesn't, doesn't keep our, our end of the bargain? But... With the vault, with the fact that this is a real smart contract, that can never happen, right? The the vault will always make sure that everybody is completely flat before you're allowed to before you're allowed to take your money back and whatever, right? It's there is no longer any counterparty dependencies, no longer any counterparty risk. Cool. Could um so you guys are right now integrated with GMX and GLP. Um, right. what are your thoughts on GMX V two and how that's going to be integrated with Umami? Perfect question, and I think a perfect time to ask it as well. Uh, so right now, obviously, GMX V2 has come out, and um, it's really, really interesting technology. A good, a nice upgrade, especially from the traders' side um, of uh, you know GMX itself, essentially. But there are some problems with it, and the main problem right now is that liquidity provision is much more difficult on 
GMX V2. It's 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 more difficult to really understand where are you LPing. It's difficult to understand what is your risk profile. It's diff more difficult to understand, you know, why you're not getting like the yield that you want. It, and and that's where I guess again, you know, a vault product like Umami's would work perfectly, right? The problem with with right now on GMX V2 is one LP may be earning thirty percent. One may be earning 20% and maybe you want to move between them, but you can't, right? And this is a sort of yearn style problem where we can actually solve this, right? And we, on top of everything else that we do, on top of the internal netting, on top of all these other things, you can also have this, this part where, wait a second, you know, this market is earning slightly higher APR. Let's move to this market. And, and it's in a way that is helping GLP, the whole thing, I mean, sorry, GMX itself. Because GMX needs to make sure that, you know, if there's a lot of trading activity on a certain market, why do we not have liquidity on that market? Why are liquidity providers not moving? And we know, and we've seen for many years now, liquidity providers are very lazy. They usually end up putting their money where they put it and then going to sleep and never moving it again. And it doesn't matter if trading volume goes, it doesn't matter if trading volume goes to zero, right? They are just sitting there waiting for one trader to come. But with Umami Vaults, we can make sure that that is no longer a problem. It's better for users. It's better for GMX. And that's why the next product that we're already like already under construction is is to do with V2. And that's going to be coming very soon. Um, oh, any hopefully. hints? Give us like a little tidbits of alpha for the people that made it this far in the interview. I think they deserved it. Okay, so um, we are still... Uh, there is some sort of technical different, uh, let me let me explain like this. The way that we've built the V1 isn't like, oh my God, it has to use GLP. We, the whole point was, you know, it's taken us a long time to build this. Let's make sure this is composable for any yield, any yield derivative that we want people to have exposure to, but in their desired exposure profile. So with GLP, it's sort of like we built the vault and then we put the block that is GLP on top. All we have to do now is take GLP out and put GMX V2 in that uh, same yield component. Obviously, there's some technical differences between V1 and V2, which is why it's not exactly immediately as simple. So, you know, the devs are just making sure because there, there is some sort of like uh, asynchronous style to the way that V2 is. And I mean, I'm already kind of out of my area. I'm not a dev, so... You know, this, this is definitely a question to ask them. It's about like what exactly is, is different. But those kind of things is what we're looking at right now. We're talking to Chainlink a lot to get the, this stuff built. And then, you know, soon we'll be hopefully in the auditing process. But yeah, it shouldn't take too long that the, these vaults will be out. I'm not going to give any timeline or anything uh, right now. It, he was ready it for always, it. <laughs> it always ends up, yeah, you, you never really know. But... I, I do think we'll be able to have, give a timeline quite soon. So it, okay. it really isn't it, it isn't too far away. And that's my whole thing about this, right? We want to basically conquer any yield instrument and give you your exposure in a single in, in single sided because there's so many let me say it like this. A long time ago in DeFi, back when I, I started, single sided exposure was more than enough to give you all the yield you could have ever wanted. There was a time where you could have earned 100,000 uh, percent APR with one single set exposure of one single asset, right? But that time has definitely changed, right? 
uh, a lot of the best yield that you get in DeFi now comes with this exposure, that exposure, and you never really know what the hell you are touching. And you know, what even are you holding at the moment? We, we, we try and ab abstract all of that, give you back to basics, understand, user-friendly uh, exposure. And the final thing I'll say as well is, um, what, what I mean by that is that there's a ton of things that we can kind of expand this to, not just GLP, not just GMX v2. And there are some more things down the line that I'm hoping to kind of address. But yeah, for now, uh, v, v2 is our main priority. And um, yeah, it's okay. it's from from that kind of perspective. Um, okay, got it. Yeah, I and, yeah. All right, enough of this mm -hmm. self padding and really hurrah great stuff. I want to get into the the skeletons in the closet. I'm gonna ask mm -hmm. about you know the four letter word and let's talk Real about risk. Okay. Let's if we come risk. back around, yes. forty minutes. You know, yeah. we got, good thing we get that forty minutes of context and information. That was a great deep dive. Thank you so much for running yeah. the kids right. We got to go in the closet and uh -huh. see what is hiding yes. in the floorboards. What, what what is in here? And you know, we have to ask this because we have to be objective and we got to give the audience. You of know, uh, some people use us as one of their primary DD sources. So I, uh -huh. I kind of got to ask these questions for, for those folks who've been listening here for almost a, an, an hour now. So uh, first question, what are the risks? But before that, I have a random question about why is the TVL 3.9 mil, but assets in GLP 3.2 mil? That's like about like 20% just not put into work. Yeah, that's a great question. So the way that I'll answer this is 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 just explain essentially what the, the strategy tries to... Uh, I mean, there's two main yield sources for the strategy, right? And there's uh, a lot of people are like, you know, how does this strategy earn more APR at any one time sometimes than GLP itself is is actually giving, right? I think GLP right now is giving, I don't know, 5%. And the strategy, the the the, the vault since inception has been earning 16% at the moment, right? The whole... The main, main risk here is with this strategy specifically, not every strategy that could be built with the infrastructure, sure. but this strategy specifically is GLP has counterparty. I mean, you know, trader P&L risk or, uh, you know, whatever you really want to call that. Traders winning or losing. And there's been thousands of discussions about is this good? Is this bad? We've done back testing for over a year before the vaults were live and the vaults have been live now for five months with actual real money uh, well, almost five months so it's it's like you know we've done copious amounts of back testing with this and 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 really figuring out should we head trade a pnl should we keep it now the whole thing is remember when you head something more volatile the costs go up right and that would be the same for us our costs would go up but would it be worth it would it be worth to take away the trade a pnl risk our whole thing right now is that it wouldn't be worth it. It would be better to keep the trade of PL. And that's what we've done with these vaults. And that's something that you really need to understand that, you know, when you come with our vaults, same with when you come with G to GLP, you are assuming or you are taking the other side of the net trades of traders, right? So if traders are long 60 million, but short 30 million, you traders are net long 30. You therefore are net short 30 million on the entire of the GLP basket. And then maybe you're, you know, you're a couple percentage points short overall. 
all of that is to say that, you know, that's something that you really need to think about. And the way that I kind of frame this as perfectly as I can um, in terms of, is this a good thing or is this a bad thing? Is if you look at stats.gmx, right? I think that's the site name. If you look yep. at stats.gmx, it shows you the traders' cumulative losses or their gains. For the entire- <laughs> Rip. Yes. For the entire two years that it's been out. And you can see that the line goes down really hard. The line comes up really hard. It's it's a bit crazy. But if you go and look at the absolute cumulative worst trader performance, and then look at the absolute cumulative best trader performance. So essentially, the longest and best run that traders ever won overall. How much did they win? Um, I think, let me give me, get, let me, if you give me one second, I can even pull up the figures here. Um, no, okay. I don't have the figures, but you can, I, I, I do implore you, go and check this out yourself. I think they win maybe 30 million or whatever it is over that time, that entire stretch. Then this is literally peak to trough. The best time the traders ever had, how much they win? They won like 30 million. But in that same exact period, the ins- if you look at the exact same days, they paid something like 50, 60, 70 million in fees. So overall, the entire strategy, if you look at the entire strategy, GLP still won, right? Because they made so much fees that it covered their um, P&L loss. Their P&L loss, right? And so the entire strategy is revolved around es- essentially your edge on the strategy is having this PNL loss, right? This loss that comes from the PNL is your edge and the entire strategy is trying to be as, um, like even without the trader PNL loss, even without whatever, it still wants to be positive. It still wants to be in the same, in the same vein as that exact example I gave. Even if the trade is one, we want to make sure that you're still positive. We want, you not to lose money, right? Like that that's the entire point of this. So at least over a long time frame. The reason that we have only 3.2 million in GLP right now is because uh the way that the net netting works is that the more you net, the lower your fees, right? Mm-hmm. Um and and that kind of depends on the TVL distribution that we have in uh the vaults. If you look at the vaults right now, mm-hmm. all of the vaults are completely capped apart from USDC. Uh, yes. So right now the algorithm basically says to us that to keep um, to keep your your costs low enough that your edge is always there, or at least like most likely to be there. This is how much of the assets we want to have invested. And essentially, if the GLP APR goes higher, it like let's say GLP APR was twenty percent it would make more sense to invest absolutely everything into GLP because you have that 20% edge. And then on top of that, you might win or lose some thanks to trader PL. But since GLP APR has been low for a while, it makes more sense to keep some uninvested and then not have that as harsh of a risk uh, and and instead have keep your edge essentially. Does that kind of make sense? So, because- you're, so you're effectively telling me if the USDC vault had yeah. been filled up which it okay. takes about another 800k or so from what it looks yeah. like then uh-huh. that amount of other assets would yeah. also be deployed into glp because yes. now from you have basically all... that 700k that is missing a partner 
which is the yes. USDC to come in to pair with it to be in GLP. Yeah. Exactly. And it's for all of the other vaults. All of the other vaults have have these sort of assets that we've decided not to invest at this point. Um, and Got when it. they do find a counterparty, we know this is completely free. Their edge is only GLP yield. We can invest everybody's uh, money. So that's again why you know the entire strategy revolves around this sort of. Uh, yep. Everybody helps each other. And if, if GLP APR increases again, it'll make more sense to keep investing more. The other because thing you can I will take more risks because you have yeah. more fees coming in to offset yes. that risk. Okay, absolutely, understood. yeah, perfectly put. Yes, exactly. And then following up to that, seven hundred K now. I imagine you're not just letting it sit idle, right? You're kind of oh. farming it out to some money markets or some more of the liquid, uh, single sided stuff out there. So no. the so right now the uh, 700k is either in the uh, either in the collateral side of the hedges uh, or mm. it's it, it, it we want to keep your exposure profile as low as possible right and the whole thing is the more kind of let's say capital efficiency you add I think Aave is a good example of being like semi like you know semi quote unquote risk free but it is yeah. always a problem like you know. Should I put my money in sentiment? I mean, somebody might say that's a good idea, but somebody else might say it's a bad sure, idea. And then sure. sentiment might act, blah, blah, blah. So we do, like the entire point is, every, every additional protocol obviously adds additional risks. We yeah, want to keep your risk profile as low as possible. And the worst thing for us would be, obviously, imagine like this extra, these extra assets that we have. Um, we lose them because of a hack on a protocol. That the entire... The entire strategy is working fine, but this yeah. like extra quote unquote capital. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. it's it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But if yeah. you look at the if you look at the strategy uh, APR overall, does it make sense uh, right now? Sixteen percent is what we're paying. Maybe that would juice it up by a couple more percentage points. Even even actually maybe one at most really because it's it's a small portion. Only portion, yeah. 20%, yeah, it, right. It so if you earn five percent, you'd only earn one. You need to look for something that's earning like you know twenty yeah. percent in order for you to get four. Yeah, I get it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, again, it's all about risk management. We try to keep the risks as low as possible. We're not trying to earn you a hundred thousand percent APY. Mm -hmm. We're trying to earn you sixteen percent or or whatever it is, but as low risk as possible. Yeah. And the, and the 700K is not locked, right? The users who deposited locked. the excess WEF could yes. effectively just take it and go somewhere else and wait until the yeah, cap yeah, is yeah. In, yeah. increased, right? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, exactly. And the, actually the, the final thing I'll say is, uh, this is a great point about like liquid versus sort of locked. And a lot of the funds that we talk to, you know, sometimes you talk to these guys and you explain to them, oh yeah, and then you can take your money out at any time. And they're like, wait, what? It, it, it's almost a foreign concept to these funds that, you know, you can, it, there isn't like, these guys, a week minimum is like the, the lowest thing. They, they are used to like writing a letter to, to, to me personally <laughs> and me allowing them on Monday morning to take their money out, right? Or, or a month is usually what they're used to. So, so completely liquid is almost a foreign concept to them. One thing we've added to the vault uh, as a sort of incentive, even again, it's all about signaling, right? With with the exposure profile, the whole thing is I want to signal that I want Delta neutral. You want to signal that you want BTC and we can then have this sort of positive sum trade. The same goes for your, your length of uh, your deposit. We have, a, we have a, a, the ability, 
even though the, the entire strategy is completely locked, I mean liquid, sorry, we have the ability that if you want, you can commit your deposit with us for 14 days. I think 15 days or 14 days, something like that. Um, and we can give you a slight boost to your APR. The way mm. that we do boost that is essentially the entire strategy earns whatever APR it earns. We take a small percentage of that and give it only to the locked deposit, right? So let's say you're earning 20%. We might take one or 2% of those and give it only to the people who lock. If you decide to lock for that 14 days, let's say only 10% lock, and you're wow. taking, Big if you're taking fire. 1%, you essentially are adding 10% to everybody. Does that make sense? Yeah, because yeah. only mm. people are earning 1% of the entire TBL. So you can, that, that's where you get this sort of, um, and we've shown it on the vault page. That's how you get this sort of, you know, um, 14% and then the arrow that shows. It. Yes, exactly. Could boost it. That's that's the boost in here. Oh, I see. Wow. Okay. Well, I, and then, I, just a question: Is there any? What is the or, additional risk of holding GLP vanilla versus yeah. using your vault? If I'm okay with every single exposure in the GLP already to begin with. Great. Again, another great question, right? So obviously, number one is smart contract risk, right? Sure. Uh, at, as every new DeFi Lego, smart contract risk is something to uh, think about. Thankfully, obviously, we've uh, been audited because yeah, that's something very important to us. We've been audited twice by Sokio, and uh, yeah, even oh, I just met those guys. <laughs> They're great guys, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, and then obviously the next uh, next vaults will be audited too. Um, you, since you're already holding GLP, I'm assuming you're already happy with Trader PNL. You're already mm-hmm. happy. Yep, with yep. I'm happy with it all. Yes. All of that stuff is is no no real risk to you. The only other thing I could say is, since you also are placing some trades externally, yeah. So since you are already okay with Trader PNL, the only other thing is that since we are placing trades externally again, that's again something that you need to consider. So if we're placing a trade in Aave, um, as as like a spot hedge, uh, you need to consider what is the risk that comes up, comes with Aave or whatever. Right now, we only have the integration of GMX itself and Aave. Obviously, from a trading perspective, if you're already LPing GLP, I'm assuming you're okay with the risk of uh, GMX. But we may be adding other avenues, such as Vertex is one that we're looking at because they have very, mm-hmm. very low fees, very good latency, um, and and all this kind of good stuff. But yeah, it's it's those two are the main. But I think I think perfectly. If you are already okay with GLP, it's not too much of a jump, especially if you really want a single-sided exposure, or even let me say this: let's say that you don't want single-sided exposure. You want actually exposure to fifty percent ETH and fifty percent USDC. But GLP doesn't give you that, right? GLP gives you at all times changing exposures. You just don't want any change. What you can do is actually take, let's say you have $1,000 that you want to invest in. You can put $500 into the ETH vault, $500 into the USDC vault, and now you've constructed essentially your own GLP, but it's always going to be 50-50 for you, right? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Your entire yeah. portfolio is 100% still that 50-50 investment that you've made. Got it. Yeah. I, and I was just asking, is there any additional yield if I had GLP and uh-huh. I just park it with you guys and I, I don't care. I want the balance. I want everything that moves up and down with it. 
Like uh -huh. I was just asking if there's an additional yield on top, but to me, it sounds like unless you are within a bucket there's of like wanting a specific thing. Um, oh, wait, the boosted APR, how, how does yes. that work? Yeah, so so that's that's a point where um, I guess it kind of depends on, you know, whenever you're coming in. But there is obviously a chance that, you know, the fact that people are not boosting gives you a boost to your APR. If, if you are obviously willing to boost, oh, you can get I a boost. Get GLP doesn't have this kind of uh, boosting incentivization, yeah, doesn't have yeah. anything along those lines. None of our yield right now, at least, is in any way, and this is also something I should have got got across a lot earlier. None of our yield is incentivized. The Umami token is- Real yield. Real yield. Yeah. Yes. It's real yield. None of it, the Umami it's token- It's always been real yield. It's always been. It's been real yielded since, yeah, since we've been around, right? It's, yeah. and, and even to this day, uh, nothing is incentivized. We aren't minting any other tokens. So you're getting essentially what GLP is giving. The real, the real extra, I think, it would be would be the boosted, which I guess gives an incentivization mechanism that you could say, well, actually, maybe I do like GLP and I like everything that GLP offers, but I want to hold GLP forever. Yeah. Umami Vault allows you to use that sort of signal to earn an extra yield that you might That's not be able to get. Idea. That's a great yeah. point. The boost. I did not think about that. You're absolutely boost. right. You're absolutely right. That's a great point. And that's an extra, like almost what two percent on average exactly. across the board. Yeah, yes. um, higher in somewhere, but yeah, dude, that is a great point. That's a great point. Um, and last question for me is just how do you guys make money as umami? Obviously, so <laughs> we charge a very standard, I think, very similar to yen, very similar to other vault products, and very similar to the funds that we're speaking to. We charge a two and twenty uh, sort of performance management fee. Sorry, management performance fee um, that any other fund kind of charges. Half of that goes to uh, the treasury, so and the other half of that goes to umami stakers. So if you stake your umami as M umami marinated umami, nice. Um, we give you we give you half of the entire vault yield, and in addition, half of whatever the treasury generates as uh trading fees yield whatever and you know i i produce my uh monthly treasury reports you can see what we're earning roughly i think so far it's been earning in the realm of 12 percent um apr so you're getting half of that on top of the half of the entire uh bolt yield right yes got it exactly. okay so in short uh, you guys make money by taking a two and 20, but you guys kind of distribute that back out up to half of it for all M umami uh, stakers. And on, and also you give even more to M umami stakers because you give half of the returns that's generated by your master of coin activities. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. yeah. Cool. All right. DeFi Dave, take it away. Yeah. Um, I want to, kind of get your general advice on what it's like to be a founder and working in the space. Cause you know, you definitely had your highs and lows. We've all had our highs and lows, our adversities and how we've overcame said adversities. Um, cool. What it's like, you know, just generally like some lessons you've learned in your, you know, few years being in DeFi. And if you have any advice to any, you know, DeFi builders and founders out there. Yeah. So exactly. As you kind of mentioned, I think especially, you know, 
being being with the Mamu, especially what happened like earlier this year, being being an Abra, being at all these kind of protocols, uh, I can say that it takes. I, I think it takes a very specific kind of person. It takes a very specific kind of personality to thrive here. And I think all three of us kind of possess those same qualities. Uh, a little bit of autism is pro probably helps. <laughs> we all have a sprinkle of neurodivergency. That's pretty obvious. <laughs> yeah, but it, you, you kind of, I, I think the, whole, the the main thing is, especially in this bear market, right? Uh, there, is, there is not really a way, if you really want to build and you really want to build something good, there is not really a way now to make a quick buck in DeFi, right? Maybe there is in like ship coins and stuff like that. But yeah, you have to you have to really believe in what you built and 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 believe that you can offer something that the market can't. So as long as you have a good idea, as long as you have something that the market doesn't doesn't, and as long as again the thing that I try to try to get across, as long as you're building something in DeFi that could only be in DeFi that l leverages the power of DeFi that leverages the power of all this kind of stuff, um, I think you're going to do uh, going to do very well. And, you know, the other thing is just make sure that, you know, a lot of, a lot of founders, a lot of teams with treasuries or whatever, they think everything is going to go up forever. And that's why they never hedge their treasury or they think, you know, nothing bad could ever happen. But almost every month now, I feel we have some sort of catastrophic, uh, destructive event, you know, once in a lifetime event, like Michael almost getting liquidated or SBF happening or this, that, this, that. All these kind of things that like will keep you up at night for maybe a week straight. Mm -hmm. So you know you've got it. You've got to come into this knowing what you're in store for. Essentially, is what I think. Yeah, absolutely. I think it takes a certain degree of pain tolerance, risk, and definitely risk tolerance and stoicism. Oh, yeah. Just you know having the mindset to just roll with the punches and to mm -hmm. really put things into perspective and time frame. You know, okay. at times things can feel like the end of the world, but you know what? You can like work through them, walk through. No, you know, shit happens. Shit will always <laughs> be happening. It just depends on like what level of shit you're in. If you're in like deep shit, deep deep shit, or just like you know, at the Earth's core kind. Shallow of shit. shit. Shallow <laughs> shit. Yeah. Um, uh, before we get into the lightning round questions, uh, I want to get you know, kind of like what, how you feel about the market right now. What's your you know short-term market outlook, you know, are we still going to, you know, not financial advice, but are we still going to crab or, you know, do you see, no, no. you know, some bullish uh, catalyst with the ETF on the horizon? Or do you think like, oh, there's some certain things that we still need to flush out and like, you know, we're going to, we're going to bear and like, you know, the bears are going to hide, they're going to come out of their caves uh, early. I think, uh, so a lot of the time when it comes to like looking at the market now, right, um, I look at sentiment a lot. Um, and it, it sentiment really works for me, especially to, to understand if we're going to crap forever or not. And usually, uh, if, if you see, if you see like, uh, almost half of everybody, um, you know, I feel like sometimes you can go on crypto Twitter, half of everybody is calling for like the next bull run. And then the other half is calling for like zero, right? That's when you know we're crabbing. Because if if sentiment is super polarized, you you know we're at least in for another month of that that sort of stuff. And so I I am strapped in for like yeah for sure we're gonna see I think at least till end of the year, um, way more crabbing. It's just gonna be right now like the the whole thing is 
the bear market isn't when coins go to zero and like everybody despairs of that. The bear market is when it everything becomes so goddamn boring that you just want to pull your hair out and you don't want to build here anymore and you don't want to trade here anymore and like nothing. I, I know really, really good traders. And I was speaking to them um, just in Singapore actually. Mm -hmm. How many trades have you made in the last month or the last three months? Some of them, like legit, most of them answering like one to five trades. It's it's incredibly boring of a market. So I think the most important thing right now for everybody is just do not get burnt out. A lot of people kind of tend to put keep putting the same amount of energy they did in the bull market, in the bear market, and then they get absolutely burnt out where there's nothing happening. Right now, I just suggest, and this is what I'm doing myself, just touch grass, right? As much as you can. Honestly, because it's going to be the best thing for like keeping your mind clear, keeping everything clear, and keeping your decision-making um, just normal. The other thing I'll say is a lot of the time here now, I think what you'll see is um, any of these like binary events will come out. And you'll feel like either, you know, zero is coming or, you know, it's the next bull market immediately. I think the perfect example of that was when Ripple, the Ripple case, the, when mm. Ripple won its case, the market went up like 1%. And everybody, it's like that meme. <laughs> yeah, it's like everybody was like, that's it. We're going like, this is the next bull run. We are so back. But literally the next day, it went right back to the exact level it was before. And, yeah. you know, if you keep seeing stuff like this, you know, it's going to keep going. So just be ready to strap in for a long time. Me personally, I do, I, I am still bullish on the ETF and all that kind of stuff. I do think that, um, or I do hope at least that, you know, the worst of everything is behind us. And, you know, this ETF stuff is going to help catalyze uh, the next everything. But I'm completely strapped in for many more months of all this kind yeah. of stuff. You know, so we're basically, we're in 2019 right now. And well, if you've been around, you know, notice that in, if you haven't been around, you're just, this is like your first bear. So you just don't know, but it's like basically it's 2019 vibes, but like, honestly, just like way more active. Wait, yeah. it was I think it's fucking, dude. It, you know, no, no, no. Yeah. I mean like in turn, it, it's 2019 in terms of market conditions. Okay. Um, but in terms of like sentiment and action, like way yeah. different. Like there was no such thing as trend. There was no such thing as anything on chain in 2019. There was no DeFi. There was just yeah. dried up liquidity and centralized markets. And us, the bullish news would be things like backed, like coming. Yeah, remember yeah, backed, yeah, yeah, and, yes, and yes. stuff like that. And, and, the, and I yeah. remember in, in 2019, bro, it was like the the possibility of zero was non-zero. <laughs> But here <laughs> it, today, I don't think that's a possibility at all. You know, yeah. like, like for, for, for ETH or, or, or BTC, like, like namely, that's what I'm saying. But yeah, that, this, I think, I that, think this there's is a huge work. difference. Yeah, I think this yeah. is what, again, you need to be exactly the same, Dave, essentially. We're not, we're not like peak, peak boredom right now, right? Peak boredom is peak bottom, right? And, yeah. and we see like people selling their accounts, when we see all that kind of stuff, that's when I think, you know, yeah, it's gonna... that's, that's so, why I have an unpopular theory. Um, okay. but I haven't said it publicly, but it's my thing. But like, cause I'm not sure of it, but like, what if it's, it's like a, a jute break and there's a jute, like it's a five year cycle. And then like, we still crab 
post BTC happening and it's just is like flat and if anything it goes down then that would be the moment that like people will like really freak out and be like oh it's over then that will be like a true bear market moment like, I don't know if it will happen but I'm just thinking of like because like I don't feel like that bear like hopeless energy that I did last cycle because <laughs> you know this cycle there's so much going on there's like seems like a little bit too much excitement and I kind of saw that thing where there's like, a little bit too much like excitement right now to like feel like a bear i mean like definitely a bear so like that's why i think there would be like this like you know this juke fake another flush yeah like another like this juke fake flush you know did did i i completely like half of me completely agrees right it's it we are not we are not in that despair yet and you know the conference thing you bring up is another good thing i think until we stop having open bars at conferences we are not we are not at the bottom until that happens no that's yeah the, that's the signal no we we i haven't seen real pain i mean like i you know we saw real pain like after like ftx and stuff but mm-hmm. like i haven't like i have i haven't seen that like true true despair like i remember that true despair back in 2019 um and it was just a different and i just don't feel that now like maybe it's because you know i've been around for a bit and so i feel like oh it's not over you know i know this thing's here to stay but back in 2019 and like even 2020 before DeFi really picked up before like 10 right, btc right, right. 10k like broke that 10k barrier um i i just haven't felt it yet. i don't know maybe i've just been around too long right no no, no I, I, I agree with you i agree with you there's that yeah. hint of it doesn't hurt enough yet no, I, I, I definitely yes. feel you. Yeah. Um, but also, I feel we are a little bit traumatized, you know? It's like... <laughs> it's just that's like yeah, that's why I feel like we, we're never, ever going to be able to, to catch the bottom because we're always going to feel like, you know, yeah. it, it's, not, it's not painful Maybe it's the newer participants, yeah. it's like, it yeah. feels... It's a higher worse. floor. That's I was talking yeah. with my buddy about this, and I feel like now we have a higher floor. Folks in the class of 2017 really thought the floor was zero. But those same folks in now 2023 is a non-zero floor. Mm-hmm. And similarly with the class of 2020, they're going to see the same thing again, too. They're going to see like, oh, it's going to be a non-zero floor. So I, I, I like that. Yeah. I like the juke fake, like juke fake. Yeah. This, is, this is why sentiment is so important, right? It, it, especially with those kind of guys, the newest guys, you always want to chat with them and say, you know, what do you, what do you think? Because we, I think exactly you say, we are kind of too jaded at this point. We are too traumatized. We have yeah. too much PTSD. We, 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 we felt like we have too many scars, right? We need the new guys. When do, when do they think like crypto is never, ever, ever coming back? It's like a fad. When yeah. that happens, we know we're in a good spot, right? Yeah, that's when we, that's when we moon. When yeah. moon, that's when we move. Yeah, <laughs> and that is a beautiful, beautiful uh, lead into our lightning round question as we wrap this up here. And when uh, at the end of all these things, we like to get to know the person behind the profile picture. Well, so yeah. I'm gonna I'm I'm kick it off first with, what was your virgin crypto experience? When did you first touch the blockchain? And uh, sex doesn't count. So in terms of chain, it's hilarious, right? Because I feel like I'm the only one. I don't know. Actually, let me ask you guys quickly. What was the first chain you guys touched? Oh, that's actually a great question. The, do you, the like the first thing I did like on chain, um, I was in the Tezos ICO. That My the, God. That was the first <laughs> ever thing. I, I'll never forget because it's, I couldn't deposit my coin risk in my bank account. I went to some... Bitcoin ATM at some coffee shop in Brentwood. I put cash in the Bitcoin ATM and sent it 
to like my Coinbase or like sent it either to my Coinbase account or to like the Tezos ICO and did it in BTC. Um, and that was the first thing I ever did on chain. Tezos ICO, July 2017. Wow. Wow. Um, mine wasn't as exciting. I uh, basically OTC'd some BTC for cash. And then I believe I used part of that OTC for some ICO, but I forgot which one. Uh, but that, yeah. that was mine. And I think the first DeFi protocol I used was synthetics. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, okay, back so in 20, me, yeah. For me, it was um, the first chain I ever touched was, wasn't ETH, wasn't BTC. It was Phantom of all chains. <laughs> okay. Okay. Flash the uh, shirt, Dave. Flash the shirt. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. There is my boy. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, that, it was it was actually Phantom, and the only reason was to claim that airdrop. Right at the, before that point, I was I was exclusively trading on Binance, uh, and then I was like, okay, fine, I have to download Go this thing called Okay, whatever, fine, I'll do it. And I deposited like three FTM onto my Phantom wallet. Then it got that got that um, got that airdrop, and then like the first thing I did with it in terms of DeFi was I LP'd it on SushiSwap. And I was like, I legit spent so long researching, like, what the hell is LPing, dude? Because nobody was putting it in, like, TradFi perspective either. There was no one going, you know, LPing is like options. Like, everybody is calling LPing like options now, which makes it a lot easier for me. But back in those days, I was like, what the mm -hmm. fuck is impermanent loss, dude? Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, yeah, that was, my, wow. that was my very first experience, yeah. Damn, you went balls deep. Okay, props. <laughs> uh, second question: What is your favorite touch grass off-chain activity? Hobbies mm. and interests. Okay, so from touch grass perspective, um, it's like I like to play golf now. I'm trying very to try you. Yeah, yeah, it's on it's, brand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it. I feel like. You can almost guess my entire personality uh, from like just the fact that I like finance. I just, uh, but but the other thing obviously is along with my anime. Pro this is like not touch grass, but along with my anime profile picture, I am like a big weeb. I like to watch anime and all that kind of stuff, all that kind of good stuff. So uh, yeah, that's the other thing. Props and man, me too. Nice. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what's some advice you'd give to your younger self? Ah, good. That's a very deep question. I think I think the advice I'd give to myself is, is just, you know, um, just to talk, like I, I think okay, yeah, this is perfect for me, especially when I was getting into TradFi, um, and I and I mentioned this earlier. Uh, one of the biggest things was, especially to get your foot in the door, you know, talk to people, connect with people, uh, do this, and I especially just thought it was so slimy, and I almost hated TradFi at the time. Because especially of that part, like I hated emailing people. I hated asking for, let's go for a coffee and all this kind of stuff. I, I just- Coffee chat. Yes, it was so slimy to me and I just hated it. But especially in DeFi and even now with, with TradFi, I'm obviously fine with it. But it is just like, please make as many connections as you possibly can. Every Like connect with yeah. everybody. You never know who who will like change your life at some point, and it's happened to me a ton of times. So yeah, at, like just talking to good people. At the end of the day, even if nothing comes out of it, as long you you, you you're here to have like you're not you're you're not here to like uh 
you don't live to work, you work to live, right? And and the entire thing is you want to you want to have fun while you're doing it. And I think for me mm-hmm. especially, meeting people and whatever is is like a huge huge part of that. So that's what I would say. Cool. And my final question, and then Dave's gonna sign us out with his final. But when if you weren't in finance and weren't in tech, what would your professional career path be? Uh, okay, so I wasn't in finance as well. Um, that's kind of hard because, like, I've always been a finance nerd. Dig deep, bro. Dig deep. So, but but the thing I'll say is, um, surprisingly enough, uh, especially when I was like studying economics, the thing that I really liked about it was like game theory and stuff. And and after that, I kind of got really quite deep into like uh, psychology and stuff. And I still love that kind of stuff to this day. So for me, uh, if I could, I, I know psychology is a really difficult uh, subject and really difficult uh, industry to kind of get into, get your foot in, but I would love to be a psychologist. It would be just so awesome uh, just to diagnose people and <laughs> all that kind of fun stuff. But yeah. Uh, that, I, yeah. I, I like- it's it's interesting. Like you're talking about market sentiment a lot. I'm not surprised yeah, you gave that answer exactly. at all. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it's all about sentiment. It's all I mean, sorry, all about like trader psychology, right? And and even even when we're trying to call the bottom, right? It's about like when is the max capitulation? It's all psychology, right? When are people in despair? It's, yeah, yeah. And then it all, it, it all comes down to that. And then when moon when. <laughs> After when, <laughs> when despair, when moon? Oh man, yeah. uh, I guess the the whole the whole joke about my name is that um, even though I'm like, anytime anybody reads my name, you're constantly asking the question. But uh, I guess the answer is nobody really knows. But uh, I knows. hope I hope that it is soon. TM. That's soon. That's the answer I can do. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I concur. And as the final question to this oh. awesome interview, um, who would you want to see next on Flywheel? Who would you recommend as a guest? This one is easy. And I was actually looking through your guys' catalog earlier to see if you have interviewed. And I cannot believe you haven't yet. But who I would say is Corey, Corey Kaplan, do you know? Uh, from uh, from Dolomite. Dolomite. I met him last night. Oh really? I, yeah. Dude, I too, yeah. You, need, <laughs> yeah. you need to get this guy on. He's huge giga brain. He's been around here forever. He's been around crypto, DeFi, and he know he's like, yeah. Just get get him on. You will not be disappointed. <laughs> Understood. Okay. We All take right. these. We have a lot of weight with these. Honestly, this yeah. is my favorite question I ask at the end of every interview uh, because it's just so easy to source other people. Yeah. I'm yeah. telling you guys, when you get him on, you're gonna. I'm gonna wait for your like DM being like, "Dude, this was like the best interview <laughs> we've done." Yeah. You know, yeah, right. so happy. Trust me. Stoked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one moon. Thank you so much for coming on this interview. This has been jam packed with information, alpha, yeah. and just overall just phenomenal vibes. Uh, thank you for coming on. Excited to see you at the next conference, and we'll see you on again soon. Thank you very much for having me, guys. Thank you, brother. Thanks. Ciao. Ciao. All right, everyone. You know what time it is. It is the post-game show. I'm your host, DeFi Dave, here with Capital K. We just wrapped up another fantastic interview with Mr. Wen Moon. Wen Moon, now Moon. 
uh, on this one, yeah, right before I pressed the record button, we were talking about how this was the uh, Money Nerd podcast because we really went in on how the mechanics of Umami works, you know, how the yield was generated, uh, and basically how it was better than its centralized counterparts. Uh, Kit, uh, what are your thoughts on this one? Uh, I thought this was kind of like my perfect ideal structure of a podcast where we got a bit of background on the guest and then we have great details, lengthy discussions, risk analysis, and the whole shebang for the product. And then we ended it with like a nice advice and general market kind of yeah. vibe check. I, I think there's a perfect structure. I kind of want to adopt this for all kind of guests moving forward. Yeah. I um, liked it too. I liked how we had the banter at the beginning about Singapore, you know, yes, fun, light, that was nice. you know, and then we got deep into the protocol. We took a step back and said like, okay, like what is Umami? And then we got yeah. into like how it worked in its current version. And then I, I liked how we got into GMXV2 a little bit because yeah. I feel like they had a pretty quiet launch. I mean, like they launched, but like they didn't make like the biggest deal that it wasn't like, oh, like I didn't see like V2 everywhere, but I've heard a lot of great things about V2. Uh, whether it was the the way the code was written and how the code looks to the product itself. So it was interesting mechanics, to get that perspective, yeah. the mechanics and perspective on that. Um, you know, I yeah. think the most memorable part for me for the interview was there was like probably a 20 minute, 15, 20 minute section where you guys were going off about yeah. how it worked. And I was just sitting there silently absorbing yep. all the information. Yeah, I let you yeah. guys do your thing. And then Kit, you turn to me, you're like, I, th I thought I lost you. So that's why I had to turn to you and ask you, but you yeah. just, yeah, just summed it up, uh, you know, pretty, pretty elegantly. It's like a democratic way to bring, bring in funds to this space. It sounds like a virtual market maker in a way, and it does this internal accounting. So, and so fair. instead of, yeah, it's, it's really cool because this is what DeFi is about, is building better than TradFi, using Correct. the tools at our disposal. And, Umami, and, you know, God bless Wen Moon because, you know, yeah. he takes, he has he the around. He turned it around. Like, I think, you know, we couldn't really get into that, but he single-handedly saved Umami. <laughs> it turned yeah. it around, um, you know, and he basically, he's basically, you know, the the way that he was able to not only turn it around, you know, from that initial situation, but, you know, build like a product that's better than TradFi. It's incredibly impressive. And I was going to say like his background in TradFi you know, and then, then becoming DeFi native as well and meshing those two worlds, you know, that's a very rare skill to have. Mm -hmm. And he can just, you know, the man can cook, the man can cook. Yeah. And additionally, from all of that, he's just a genuine good person. Oh, yeah. Right. And I think that is key. And that really came across. And especially in his like advice to like founders to kind of just or rather how, how he shared his story of how he just kind of got involved. And he was encouraging people to just, you know, get out there and get in touch and DM and just like really be proactive. And now is the perfect time to do so much better than the bull market. So I, yeah. I thought those are like really good advice too. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. That's where you got it. Like as a participant in the space in crypto, mm -hmm. you have to be in any of the bear. You can't take like a few months off and, be, and, and check out. That's the mistake that a lot of people do. And then they come back and they're like, oh, it's the bull. And like, that's when you know it's someone bold when all the people that checked out, like come back in a wave and just like, oh, good to see you again. And I see it, I've seen it. This will be, I'm just gonna see it again. Um, yeah. You know, maybe we'll yeah, see it after the juke fake. 
cute fit. Dude, I hope I hope you're wrong because if that happens, I think I'm gonna have an, an OnlyFans page. You guys can sub me. <laughs> you guys can sub me on there. Uh, do you have friend tech? <laughs> I do. I do have friend tech. Um, you do? But I guess I, I guess yeah, I do. I do. Oh, I, I have damn! I gotta get your key. Uh, yeah, it's, it's super cheap right now. I I am not on it actively enough. Uh, I. Anyways, uh, we'll talk about the friend tech stuff, but I want to yeah. talk a bit more about when Moon because normally when I ask, this is usually off camera, when I ask founder these hard questions or the builders these hard questions about, you know, risk or like fees, like, you know, just in my opinion, very simple questions. They always dance around it. But when Moon just attacked it directly and gave it very clearly. Uh, and I, I really appreciate that. I appreciate the honesty. I appreciate the the brevity. It was really good to hear founders be able to talk about their product, like the bad side of the product. Can you say, like, what did Wen Moon say specifically that he went, like, like heads first into answering it as opposed to founders, like, dancing around it? Like, it'll be like, you know, how come you didn't deploy all of the capital? Or, like, you know, how come the capital – you remember about 700K or so of the TVL is actually not put into use. And if – I were, you know, probably another founder, I would probably be like, well, you know, we're, we're evaluating other uh, avenues so that we can maximize 100% of the capital and, you know, really try to say that that capital is indeed put to use. But mm-hmm. when Moon outright just said, it's really not because the users want what they want and they don't want extra exposure and we're not here to add on extra exposure. Full stop, period. And I was like, okay, fair. got it. Very fair, very fair. And it's not locked either, so the user could take it out and do whatever they want. Yeah, that's I really like that thing. answer. Yeah, also it's how, always and, liquid. Yes, and how they made money was the second question. Uh, and he also said two and twenty, right? Right. He was very clear with what that structure is, which I appreciate. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people kind of dance around how they make money because uh, sometimes they don't. Because <laughs> they don't. Anyways, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so that's the that's what I uh, appreciate a lot from him. Do you have any other big takeaways from the interview? I, I think the the biggest takeaway is that if you know don't don't fade a product just because their V one or their their initial traction was bad. Um, don't don't fade it. And if someone else like us put another spotlight on it, you know, be open minded and, and and take a look at it again. You know, graded yeah. on its merits today not its history in the past. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting to see now that we've had years of DeFi and you can kind of see how thing, like things play out over time. Not everything's just like brand new. It's like, oh, you know, people have like been around uh, and projects have been around. So you can kind of evaluate and judge them. Uh, and I think uh, like on a long time scale, and I think the biggest pe- mistake people make and people make this with Brax is they, look at a project like at a certain point in time and then yes, they just have a snapshot, snapshot of uh, of that project and don't look at it again so when people ask them about it they're like oh isn't that like delta neutral <laughs> but like no it's there's updates to these projects and that's probably the hardest yeah. thing about being a participant it's keeping yeah, up yeah, yeah. with with everything it's impossible it's really it's, it's really impossible so you have to like prioritize and so when so just always if the things to be most aware of is you don't have to keep up with everything, but just be aware of when was the last time you actually looked at something? Was it last week or was it last year? Because there's a big difference between the two. That's my takeaway. And Umami is a great example of that. 
Agreed, agreed. I love these redemption arcs. Uh, I, I think yeah. I talked to you about having a redemption arc series. We have a couple more lined up. Oh yeah, we uh, have yeah. we have some things cooking. Yeah, and yeah, our so. listeners will definitely want to make sure they catch those. And to catch those, you better hit that bell button right now. Give us a subscribe. Click it right now. Leave us a comment. Let us know what you think. Love it, hate it. Give us a like. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at FlywheelDefi, TikTok at FlywheelDefi. <laughs> Telegram at FlywheelDefi. Make sure you join our friend tech for exclusive show notes. Uh, FlywheelDefi friend tech. Make sure you follow me on Twitter. Uh, join our Telegram at FlywheelDefi. I think I said that, but we have other notes in there too. So you want to hop in there. You can follow me on Twitter at DefiDave22. Follow me at 0x capital underscore K. And we'll see you next week. <sighs> see. Peace. Peace.